Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Central Oregon. Welcome to the show, Mike Coffey. Thank you, Victor. Great to have you here. Now, Mike, you are part of an organization, a new fintech company called StackSource, and you've got some very interesting technology that we've learned about in the last little while. But before we dive into those details, love to get a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Absolutely. it's uh, It's been a fun journey, as most uh, folks in real estate have that have that story. Uh, I started off 22 plus years ago in the back office of a small uh, mortgage, uh, commercial mortgage broker shop out of Portland, Oregon. And my function there was to package the loans, document the files for the lenders, coordinate with all the various parties. And I did that uh, for the whole office. And during the downturn of 07, we learned a few new tricks. Uh, we were forced to because of of that financial collapse. And we also implemented some new procedures uh, for underwriting and processing our transactions, where we focused on those little things that happen during every transaction that end up causing a, a larger problem down the road. So fast forward uh, to now, we I originate loans, advise investors on funding their projects, but I've carried all of that knowledge forward. So I'm at the, you had mentioned a fintech firm uh, called StackSource. So we're a national brokerage with a much deeper pool of capital sources and mechanisms for filling out the capital stack. Uh, So we provide debt, equity, crowdfunding, uh, MES debt, uh, preferred equity, um, and CPACE and all the all the various mechanisms that are out there. Uh, so we have a much more well-rounded offering to serve all the asset classes and funding needs. In a world where money is in short supply, now we went through a period where money was uh, highly abundant. In fact, there was too much money in the system. But in a, in a world where increasingly money becomes in short supply, my perception is that lenders are going to stay focused on that small set of clients that they have existing relationships with, and they're basically going to put the blinders on to everything else. We saw we saw some of that happen in the wake of the great financial crisis as well. How does a technology, which in and of itself doesn't bring a relationship, navigate its way through that environment? Yeah, that's a great question. And and we observe the same thing. Uh, Capital sources would run to their safe place and only do those transactions that fit and and where they were comfortable and completely understandable. Right. Uh, Where we fit in here is that we will go out and find those sources. We have a whole uh, team that is responsible for keeping our database up to date and current. Uh, with our national reach, we have a lot of capital advisors all over the country interacting with various lenders, both hyper-local lenders as well as national firms. So we have a very vibrant and updated uh, database of capital providers. 
and it stays up to date. So when you when we put a, a deal out for bid on the platform, it is going to uh, very updated information and, and whatever guidelines lenders are happening to use at the time, uh, it's getting mashed up to those not stale uh, info from even, well, a month ago is is now stale uh, with how fast things are changing. So, so from a technology standpoint, and I ask this from the perspective of someone who came from the tech industry, how does your technology keep up to date if some of the lenders are not proactively pushing information to you? How do you, how does that all work? How do you connect the dots? Yeah. So we reach out on a pretty regular basis. So if, if we have a lender that doesn't reply to our, to our offering or declines it, we will usually reach out to them either via email or phone to have a conversation and get feedback that allows us then to update. So if we send something out at, you know, 70% LTV and they decline it, uh, we will reach out and find out, Hey, what was it that you didn't particularly like about the deal? Oh, we just, we can't do 70. We're stuck at 60. Great. We then have a team that'll go in, change the database to 60%. So next time that particular lender um, is, is a candidate and we're doing a deal maybe at, you know, 65, it'll know not to match up with them. Got it. Very interesting. So we're in such a rapidly changing environment. I mean, things are literally changing by the day. How does a technology like StackSource give a borrower the upper hand in this environment? Through transparency, I I believe. And I think that's something that has been missing from the commercial mortgage brokerage arena. And traditionally, a small broker, and this is how I functioned for many years, I would call my little database of, of folks that I knew and had relationship with and to find out what they could do. And I feel like that served our clients very well. But what we're finding is that there's national lenders in other parts of the country that, that don't we don't have a personal relationship with and couldn't have known. So through this technology now, we can now reach out to those folks very quickly and very easily. And what's great is the investor gets to see all of those quotes. Uh, I have a transaction that we're working on now, and we got four different, very rapidly different quotes. And some of them, I I don't think I could have known uh, that that lender was even out there. And so it allows that borrower to make a very informed decision, not just not just on rate, because that that is somewhat important, but the whole structure of the deal, whether it's recourse, non-recourse, what is my prepay, when is my fixed period going to end, and being able to see all those details in front of you in one snapshot with a side-by-side comparison, uh, it's not just me pushing a lender that I particularly like or, you know, treats me to golf every weekend, but what is the best offer for your particular transaction and situation? And I think that's going to be key going through, getting through this this next cycle or two. Over the last couple of years in particular, but certainly longer than that, 
a lot of value-add projects, in particular in the multifamily space, have relied on bridge debt to initiate those projects with a view that they would refinance into permanent financing on stabilization. And many of those investors would have made assumptions about what that rate would be 24 months from now or whenever they would hope to achieve that milestone. And things have changed so quickly that probably those assumptions are no longer valid. What are you seeing in the marketplace right now? Are you seeing signs of distress? Are you seeing signs of uh, borrowers negotiating extensions? Uh, Just generally, what are you seeing? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, I, I think it, I think we're still in that period where everyone's taking a collective breath to see what's going to happen. Um, I remember in 07, there was a lot of chatter about all of the 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 10-year loans that were going to be coming due soon. And oh, there's going to be all these foreclosures. And what ended up happening was a lot of those lenders just automatically put those loans on extension without penalizing the borrower. They didn't want the properties back. They didn't want to deal with with that amount of of assets coming back on their books. So they just granted extensions and those clients refied when it was feasible to do so. So we, as a, as a marketplace, as an industry, we worked our way through it. I think that's what, I think that's what's coming uh, for us. If, if we end up in that situation, Um, it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen in even one to two years based on the last, you know, several months. We don't know where we're going to end up, um, but I I see lenders being flexible. Uh, investors have already become so, but I I see the lending world and capital providers becoming uh, much more flexible to figure out how to solve these issues. So what what does that look like? I mean, typically these bridge loans would have been written on a variable rate, interest only. Uh, it might have been LIBOR plus 575 with a floor or something like that. And that would have been at the floor interest rate for most of the term, but today might be above the floor. So you as a borrower are thinking, okay, I've got a leased up stabilized asset. I can probably handle interest only for a period of time, but I really want to get into perm or I want at least to get into a mini perm at a more reasonable rate that's sub 10%. How are the lenders responding to that? Are they just extending and hoping everyone can hold it together? Or are they offering many perms to try and get things into at least a more stable situation? Yeah, I think most of those, if if it's not stabilized yet, obviously, if it's stabilized, they're going to want to push you off to some kind of a perm debt situation. If it's not stabilized, most of them, at least most of the ones we saw had some extension built in. You could buy a six-month or a one-year extension, typically for a point or half a point, uh, depending on what they were offering. Some of them also had rate caps that you required to purchase. So those now are extra special. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and it was a, it was a great idea. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll see, we'll see a lot of extensions going out on those. Um, I had one in particular, it was a construction loan through a, a local bank and the borrower approached us. They needed some bridge money to get to their HUD uh, execution. And we got that put together for them, got a great package, an offer on that. And then they came back and said, oh, 
the bank's loan committee met and they decided that it was better to extend the construction loan. So it was not something we had anyone really had expected to happen, but they just felt this is worth it to preserve that relationship and also keep the building moving forward. Fascinating. We're hearing an awful lot about liquidity drying up, lenders lowering their loan to value ratio, lenders lowering their loan to cost ratio, generally being more conservative, demanding higher reserves, demanding that investors and borrowers bring more equity to the table. Can you comment on what you're seeing in the marketplace just from a boots on the ground perspective? Oh, sure. There is a a bit of that. I think a lot of the nervousness on the part of lenders is how to underwrite the exit and knowing, okay, where where cap rate's going to go, where interest rate's going to be. Even on a five-year fixed, there still is some nervousness that in five years, can they pay us off? Luckily with, and I say that with trepidation, but with the rise in interest rates, it is, and, and the cap rates have not yet followed, it is naturally underwriting to a pretty lower, to lower LTVs. So it's keeping us in that safe zone. I haven't seen a whole lot of wholesale changes to guidelines from most lenders. There's been a few minor tweaks. The market's kind of taking care of that for them. Unlike in 07, where they they really had to apply some draconian measures to make sure that they they were safe in their underwriting, I think now the market's kind of perform that function for them so that the deals are only underwriting to 65, 70% if you're if you're lucky. But I think underwriting that exit and and how they underwrite that exit is going to be key. You know, how conservative do they want to be or how risky do they want to get? It's really the crystal ball of what interest rates will be in the future, 24 months hence or 36 months hence, and nobody yep. knows. Exactly. And that's because I've heard some very drastically different predictions on on where we're headed with with rates. So it's really up to each institution and how they interpret that data, how they want to. And in a lot of it too, remember if it's if it's a bank, they have to answer to the regulators. So if they're making these credit decisions, it's not just how they feel or what they think is going to happen. They have to be able to justify that loan. To the government. Absolutely. Well, fascinating discussion. And Michael, if folks want to connect, what's the best way? Uh, I am active on LinkedIn. You can find me at Michael Coffee on LinkedIn. My email is Michael.coffee at stacksource.com. And uh, I'm also available via phone at 503 866 8817. Fantastic. Well, Michael, love the perspective, very intrigued by the technology that your company's developed. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Michael Coffey at stacksource.com. The link will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.